G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. Jesus and His followers have taught for over 2,000 years. This unseen world in the spiritual realm greatly impacts the world we see now. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello, thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. I'm Bill, glad to have you with us. In this message coming up, Pastor Jeff is looking at 1 John 5, where it says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. There's plenty of darkness in the world. And Pastor Jeff is getting us to think about how we move away from darkness. Before we get into it, just a warning, there's some dark themes that may not be suitable for young listeners. Let's get into it now. This is Today with Jeff Vines. There's an invisible world that greatly impacts the visible world. Innumerable bacteria, viruses, and other little culprits traveling around in their little corona vehicles, landing on surfaces, ready to take up resident within each one of us. We are now so convinced that the unseen world greatly impacts the visible world that we carry little bottles of Germex. Everywhere we go, we wash our hands frequently, and just to be extra safe, we're wearing masks. Now, here's the rub, and it will help us understand 1 John 5, 19. The Bible teaches that what is true in the physical realm is also true in the spiritual realm, that there's an invisible world that greatly impacts the world you and I see every day, something we can't physically see that possesses significant ramifications on the things that we can see. There is an unseen world that greatly impacts the seen world. And Jesus and his followers have taught for over 2,000 years that this unseen world in the spiritual realm greatly impacts the world we see now. That's what 1 John 5, 19 is trying to say. The writer says, we know that we are children of God, but the whole world is under the control of an unseen force. The actual Greek word is wickedness rather than wicked one, but the same message is communicated. Now, when the Bible uses the word world, cosmos, it can refer to people, it can refer to land, or it can refer to a system, an order, a world order. So the writer tells us there's a system that can be seen influenced by an entity that cannot be seen. And notice the contrast. We have one, the children of God, The writer says we have a physical father, but we also have a spiritual father. And we are influenced by our spiritual father. We walk in his footsteps. We are his children. When we we lived in New Zealand, Delaney and Sion were little kids. 
we would often go down on the weekend to a place called Marangi Bay. And we would just walk along the beach. The kids loved playing in the water and running from the tide as it would come in. Well, because I weighed around 200 pounds, my footprints in the sand would be rather large and deep. And I would always look around and see my kids, both Delaney and Sion, trying to walk in my footsteps. This is the message the Bible communicates about our spiritual father, that we have a spiritual dad. We are his children. We have his heart. We have his precepts. We live by his objective code. We belong to him. And there is now a foundational difference between our priorities and our goals and our pursuits different than our non-Christian neighbors. The Bible clearly communicates two types of people then, the children of God, and then the second, the rest of all mankind remains in the hands of wickedness. Now, I know some of you are gonna say, wait a minute, I'm not a child of the evil one. Well, calm down and let me explain just a moment. The Bible says that the whole world lies under the control of the evil one. Lies is a Greek word, kamai, and it's a word that is a military word that means passivity. There is a non-resistance. There is a passive independence. In other words, the people who live and are controlled by this world system live without the willingness to resist it. In other words, by default, you live in it. I've tried to communicate the same reality when I've mentioned Matthew 7 in the past where Jesus said, enter in through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter into it. The, the Greek phrase or Greek word is aserikomai and it gives the picture of just going with the flow. In other words, there's no intentionality. So Jesus said, there is a wide gate, it leads to destruction and those who are going with the flow are making no intention to step out of it. It's the natural flow of everyday life in an everyday world that is governed by an everyday leader. But then he said in verse 14, but small is the gate and narrow the road is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Again, a contrast in the two Greek words. Aserikomai, you're going with a flow. And Eureka, most of us know that Greek word, I found it. But it assumes that you've desperately been searching. And so Jesus said, two ways to life. Go with the flow of a world system that is governed by wickedness or step out of the flow, go against the grain, search desperately for God who is the creator and sustainer of all things and live a life according to your spiritual father. Now, so the Bible says there are only, really only two entities in our world. You're either walking in the steps of God, the father of all nations, or you're walking in the steps of wickedness, the father of a world system in which we live by default. One of my favorite sayings, and I try to sneak it in from time to time, is that sin is the most objected to idea and yet the most empirically verifiable. We object to the notion of sin and wickedness, and yet if you follow every life around, it'll only be a matter of time before it is empirically verified. Now, again, to those who might object, to those who are not yet committed to Christ, you don't consider yourself a Christ follower, do you really object to the statement that this world system is wicked? If so, then why do you protest so much? Why do you shame and cancel people out that disagree with you? And why do you often cry foul or injustice? The word of God tells us there are two kinds of people, those who are controlled and influenced by God, the God of scripture, the God of objective truth, not the God of culture, or not the God that we often create in our own image, not the God who never contradicts us, not the God who likes everything we like and hate everything we hate. 
the God of the Bible, those who are controlled by the God of Scripture, and those second who are controlled and influenced by a system whose father is the father of all wickedness. Vehemently rejected, empirically verifiable. Can you not agree, can we not at least agree that the whole world politically, socially, economically lies under the sway or the control or the influence of the evil one? The only way you could deny that is if you've created a bubble for yourself or you've never come into contact with real evil. Folks, right now, we live in a world where human trafficking is off the charts and growing. The latest human trafficking stats, 25 million people on planet Earth are in slavery. 25 million people in a modern day world. Five million people are trafficked and forced into sexual exploitation every single year. Five million. Human trafficking earns somewhere around 150 billion per year. One million children are forced into the sex slave trade every single year. In Thailand, 2.8 million women, most of whom are underaged, are trafficked every year in the sex trade. Really? The selling of little girls? You know what we're saying, right? We're saying that young girls in our state, in our nation, in the world, are taken usually out of foster care of some kind and are sold to men for sex. It happens every single day. Five million around the world. Billions of dollars changing hands. It's very lucrative. People in our world, in our nation, are kept in cages, held in slavery, and sexually exploited. You know, someone said to me when I was describing this a few years ago, yes, Pastor Jeff, but poverty's the real culprit, they said. People are forced to do things like that to survive. Well, hold on a second. What's the cause of poverty? Is it not corruption and evil? Has God not provided more than we need to survive and to thrive in humanity? And yet we have men like Mohammed Soarto, the president of Indonesia, who embezzled $35 billion from his people while his people are starving. Fernando Marcus, the president of the Philippines, embezzled $10 billion from his people. Jean-Claude Duvalet, president of Haiti. You know about Haiti, how starvation runs rampant and disease. He embezzled $800 million from his people. What is the real problem in Africa today? Is it a lack of resources? No, it's corruption. In fact, when I was in Zimbabwe, uh, there were people who tried to make a connection with real categoric evil and President Robert Mugabe, they started calling him Beelzebub, Bob, Robert Mugabe. What is the real problem in America? Corruption. Second, poverty causes evil. Really? I mean, do you know the name of Ponzi schemes or Madoff or Jeffrey Epstein or Harvey Weinstein? These are not men who were poor. What nation in the world has the highest number of human trafficking? The United States. What state? The state of California. Evil goes far beyond poverty and far beyond the lack of education. What made the death camp so surprising to the world during the Holocaust was that they were erected by a civilized society. Germany was cultured. It gave us incredible art and music and culture. And this is part of the reason that Eisenhower forced the townspeople into the concentration camps so that they could witness firsthand the atrocities of a so-called cultured nation. 
He demanded that everything be photographed because he knew the world would have a difficult time believing it. Because the world at that time believed that the more educated, the more advanced, and the more cultured you are, the less evil would run rampant. And now here was the, a testimony to the opposite. It went against the grain of modern thought that evil could be defeated by culture, education, and technological advancement. In fact, if you go to Auschwitz today, you can still go, and many people from all over the world go to try to get a firsthand understanding, which is almost impossible because we're too far removed. But when you go, the things you see on display, you'll notice no one speaks. Everyone just gets silent. They're just whispers within the walls as they witness the barracks and the gas ovens and the torture chambers and the medical experiments carried out on young children. 15,000 murders a day in Auschwitz. Trains would pull up to the stations. They would collect all the possessions. They would lead Jewish men, women, and children into a place where they were told they were gonna have a shower, but the shower heads were gas dispensers. Thousands upon thousands killed every single day in a cultured, cultured nation. Can we at least not agree, even if you're not a Christ follower, can we not agree that the political systems of our world are corrupt to the core? Stalin, Hitler, Lenin, Pol Pot. And what will be the demise of America, the country that we love? It's when those in power pass legislation to get votes, to remain in power, to maintain a lifestyle they think they're entitled to rather than doing what is best for a nation. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. What is the real problem in Europe? In Greece, and Italy, and Portugal, and Spain, corruption. What is the real problem everywhere? The strong oppress the weak, the rich oppress the poor. Ironically, we believed at the turn of the last century that with increased knowledge and technological advancement, a new world of peace and harmony would emerge. And the reality is, with increased knowledge came advanced means to perpetrate our atrocities on each other. And the 20th century was the bloodiest century of human history, there were more wars and conflicts in the 20th century than all the other centuries combined. The culprit is not a lack of knowledge or a lack of education. The real problem is the human heart and the system in which it operates. The world tells us that man is basically good. Jesus tells us the heart of man is wicked and needs remedial help. And if you can look around our world today and deny that something very wicked and sinister seems to be in control, wow, you wanna talk about denial. The only way, and I've said this again, let me say it a second time, the only way you could make a statement like that is if you live in a bubble or if you've never met real evil. W.H. Auden, one of the greatest poets of all time, do you know that he came to faith through meeting evil? He was a socialist, atheist, left-wing radical. He came to America to escape Nazism. One evening in New York City while watching a documentary, he saw Hitler's troops bayoneting young women and children as they marched into the city. And most of the German audience standing by watching this cheered the Germans on. They were shouting, kill them, kill them, kill them all. Auden said when he saw that, let me quote now, he said, in two minutes, my entire worldview was turned around. On the one hand, I knew real evil. I was looking at something that no psychology, no education, no politics could ever change. 
This is radical evil, he said. Then I realized as a European intellectual, I had spent my entire life removing the absolutes. Everything is relative. But I wanted to say that Hitler was absolutely evil. So I left the cinema, a seeker, after an unconditional absolute, and I met Jesus. Now, what does he mean by that? Evil in our dictionary is defined as something that is profoundly immoral and wicked. But suddenly, the poet Auden realized that without God, there could be no such thing as categoric evil. Because once you assume categoric evil, you have to assume categoric good, and you have to assume an absolute moral law to govern absolute categories of evil and good. But we've asked the question, who on earth can give us an absolute morality? No one, only God who stands above, who is transcendent, can give us an absolute moral law to define for us the absolute categories of evil and good. Auden realized that he began his search for a worldview that gave him an absolute. With coherency, he found Jesus. Are you telling me there are not events that occur in everyday life that you see, you take a look at, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, I don't care who you are, no matter what your worldview, you see that event and you say suddenly, man, that's just evil. That's the only plausible explanation I have. How could that person do something like that? How could they justify that? What were they thinking? I go back to two of the books that I've read that have had great impacts on my life. One was called Machete Season, It interviewed the 10 orchestrator to the Rwanda genocide. And you can tell this this author from the New York Times is desperately trying to answer the question of why you could do this, but he's coming at it from an atheistic worldview and he's struggling. And finally, these 10 men who orchestrated the genocide said, look, here's the bottom line. The The first kill, the first time we took a machete and slashed our neighbor to death, it was difficult, but after that, It was like someone else in us was perpetrating the criminal activity. And the New York Times author did not know what to do with that. It did not fit into his little worldview that man is basically good and there's no such thing as good and evil. Evil is as real as God himself. You know, I read something not too long ago, and I'm sorry that I can't remember it, but it's it's good and it just popped into my mind. Albert Einstein actually debated a professor of his. And I think the story goes that the professor claimed there's no such thing as evil and Albert Einstein wanted to debate this truth or, or at least uh, debate this theory. And Einstein showed the professor, stood up in the back of the class and said, sir, there's no such thing as cold. Cold is simply the absence of heat. Heat is what we measure. And there's no such thing as darkness. Darkness, there's no way to measure. We can only measure it over and against light. And he said, in the same way, the evil is presented as a reality as the absence of God. In the absence of God, in the perfect presence of God, you have everything that is good, which is what heaven will be like. In the total absence of God, there is evil. Evil is defined as the total absence and commitment to God or the belief in God. Okay, Jeff, what? It's not a lecture on evil. I didn't mean to lecture you on evil, but you did, okay. It's not a lecture even on human responsibility. What is it then? What is the purpose? It is a message concerning physical and spiritual reality and how they are related. This is the point of 1 John 5, 19. It's what the writer communicates. It is a message that urges you to consider the reality that the most plausible explanation for our world is exactly what the Bible teaches. 
Two entities diametrically opposed. In John 10, Jesus himself said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The Bible teaches there's an invisible world that greatly impacts the visible world. Now, here's the crux of the matter, and this is where it's very important as we talk about moving away from something and moving towards something else. The reality is the Bible says that the same voices that spoke to those who committed the Rwandan genocide, the same voices that spoke to SS men, the same voice that spoke to Hitler, to slave traders, to those who are involved in sex trafficking, the same voice speaks to you every single day. The same unseen world that pursues and, and captures everything that is opposed to God is the same unseen world and has the same unseen leader that is after, that pursues you. And without intentionality on your part to step out of the flow of the world, you will live in such a way that leads to death and disintegration as opposed to life and vitality. Are you with me? Now stay with me. All of this that we've done will be of no use unless we get this last part. You say, wait, Pastor Jeff, I thought I belonged to God and I don't have to worry about this. Let me read the text again. We know we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has given or has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Now, what is he saying there? He's saying that while we, while the whole world rather is under the influence of the evil one, you and I have gained understanding of that reality and have stepped out of it. And because we've stepped out of it, and become Christ's followers. Christ now has penetrated our hearts and our minds and our lives and he's come on the inside to live. However, and this is what most believers forget, we have to choose every single day to overcome. The power's there, the presence is there. And the reason we have to choose every day to overcome is because the spirit of God now living inside you is incarcerated in the flesh. Do you understand that? The essential you has limitations. It is incarcerated in the flesh. That's why Paul says, stay with me now in Romans 6, verse 12. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That's, that's the word for flesh. So that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself every part of your flesh as an instrument of righteousness. What's he saying? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You want to do the good, but the flesh does not. Just as there are two entities diametrically opposed to each other in our world, there are two forces diametrically opposed to one another in you. And too many Christians forget that. There is the essential you, Christ in you, but that essential you is incarcerated in its limitations in the flesh. And the flesh is incredibly self-serving. And it is the place where the devil gains his foothold. It is the place where he penetrates your life. 
Well, that's a good place for us to pause there. We'll come back to the rest of this message next time. As Pastor Jeff looks at 1 John 5 verse 19, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Think for a moment, what is at the heart of all wickedness? What is the driving force behind all the injustice and evil in our world? Is it not power? Is it not wealth? Is it not feeling? And are those things not associated with the flesh? Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.